Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. She is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. She is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. How can we thank you enough for the salvation you have provided for us in Christ Jesus? How can we appreciate you enough for your love? And the things you do for us, some of them we take them for granted. And some, you don't even bother to tell us you have done them. Our prayer is that your spirit will fill this place. You will take hold of us, take hold of our understanding, and introduce us to the things of the spirit so that we can walk together with you. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm handling for today an introduction to the Holy Spirit. The reason is simple. Probably the most controversial subject among even evangelical Christians is the Holy Spirit. We fight. We argue. We debate, we criticize, we refuse to accept, we see extremes, we are put off. And after some time you tell yourself, if this is the Holy Spirit, I don't want to have anything to do with Him. You know, I want to go to heaven quietly and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be messed up. So, the various traditions have got different perspectives. Now, one thing to ha- that has added to the confusion is that when the Protestant movement began, they so fought for the place of the Bible in a Christian's life that they did not have enough time to work on the Holy Spirit. And you must understand that. It's like Ghana is recovering from malaria. So we do not yet have time to research on cancer. Yeah, because 90% of the world's malaria is in Africa. Even though we are just 15% of the world. So when it is like that, all your scientists, research assistants, paramedical staff, Concentrate on malaria. And they have to finish doing something on that before they start a cancer research. So in the same way, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, Savonarola, and the set of you know, very strong evangelicals who brought the Protestant Revolution, they did a good work on the Bible. And salvation but they did not have enough time to fight out the things of the spirit of God so it has left the mainline churches in a state of Calvin didn't teach this Martin Luther didn't teach this you know John Wesley didn't teach this therefore we feel reluctant to accept it as part of Methodist doctrine, Lutheran doctrine, Anglican doctrine. So, I am aware that, you know, we are at various places of the divide. 
my attempt is to unite us to a common ground on the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe God will give us grace to get there. How do I intend to attack it? I'm going to talk about six big areas. Number one is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Number three, the Holy Spirit in the apostolic times, the early church. Number four, the person of the Holy Spirit. And number five, the deity or divinity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And then, I will talk also about the purpose of the, the Holy Spirit and His baptism. So, since we have a short question time, I would like to, to go straight ahead. The question time is for you to ask your question so that we can scratch where you are itching. Yes. Now, if you've been listening to me for some time, you are like my wife, you are probably tired of my introductions. Now, my always ever introduction is that two things have changed my life. One of them is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And the second one is the fact that the Bible is infallible. It is a piece of document I have examined for the past 40 years and I've read it through about 40 times. And I, I have come to the conclusion that I choose to believe the Bible. So you need to understand me when I speak. I don't offer any apologies for quoting from the scriptures. The burden of proof is not mine, it's yours. Yes, the burden of proof that the Bible is not what it says it is, is yours, not mine. I have made enough research and I am settled. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. John 10, 35, Jesus says, The scripture cannot be broken. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Hebrews 4, 12, he says, The word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the bones, marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart of man. I choose to believe the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's God-briefed and is profitable for teaching the truth, for rebuking error, for correcting and for training in righteousness, that the man of God will be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, our textbook is the Bible. Commentaries, and my pastor says, those things are good, but it is better to anchor your faith in the scripture. Because what your pastor says the people in Australia do not hear it. Yes. So your pastor is a local God, a local deity. But 
He's not a universal somebody. But this same Bible is read in Canada, is read in Norway, is read in, in Russia, is read in South Africa, is read all over the world. And it's the standard for God's wasi. So when he is judging the world, it will be unfair of God as judge to use LIC standard to judge the world. Because not everybody is listening to what LIC is saying. He needs a basic standard to judge the world. Therefore, the universal court of justice uses the Bible, not your pastor. Does it make sense? Thank you. So, first of all, I am crazy about the fact that God's greatest desire for every child of his is that he should be like Jesus. The reason is simple. No human being has ever pleased God like Jesus did. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, 17, after Jesus' baptism, heaven opened and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus and a voice boomed from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 17, verse 5, we are told that at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And as they conversed, Peter was dumbfounded. He said, Master, let's build three chapels. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. And the voice boomed from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. God is saying, I know there is Moses. He wrote the first five books of, of Moses. I know Elijah went to heaven alive. But this is my beloved son. Hear him. The finger of God is upon Jesus as the ultimate person for worship. He says in John 14, 6, freely, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is the reason why Christianity can never compromise with any other religion on this earth. Because Christianity excludes every other religion and claim to truth and the way to God. If Jesus is not the way, burn your Bible, let's go home. He is an imposter, a liar, a demon, worse than Satan, because he is deceiving the whole world. It's not a neutral position. You can't be a Christian and accept that any other person can go to heaven except through Jesus. If you, if you dare open your conscience to that, then you have lost the faith. That's the truth of the matter. Religious intolerance is a crime. But conscience intolerance is a virtue. It's not a sin. Because your conscience must be tied to the person who bought you with his blood. Otherwise, leave him alone. Now, not only that, in Romans 8, 29, the Bible says, those whom God foreknew, he predestined that they should be conformed to the image of his son, so that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In 1 John 3, 1 to 3 says that, Beloved, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And his children we are now. The world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. We too don't know what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And anyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself as Jesus is pure. 
Second Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with open and veiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit. This means that eternity past, God decided we should be like Jesus. Eternity to come, when we see Jesus, we shall forever be like him. Now, the Holy Spirit is changing us to be like him. Therefore, heaven has made up his mind concerning what they want us to be like. You cannot convince heaven to change. Am I making a point? Now, you can understand why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. You can understand Ephesians 4, from verse 11 to 13. He says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Christ to maturity, the fullness of the stature of Christ. But Colossians 1, 28 and 29 we must read. Let's read it. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, him we preach, teaching every man and warning every man in all wisdom so that we can present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29. Him we preach, yes. warning every man. Warning every man. And teaching every man in all wisdom. Teaching every man in all wisdom. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What I want you to notice is every man, every man, every man. The labor of the apostles was to warn every man, teach every man in all wisdom, till we present every man, and that is generic, man and woman, every one perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, I use these verses and more to lay the foundation that any Christian who is not growing more and more to be like Jesus is a caricature. You see, you are a deformed child of God. Because heaven has already set a syllabus. Okay, so this evening, I put it to you, that the best attitude to the Holy Spirit and the most biblical, balanced, approved behavior, attitude to the Holy Spirit is the attitude of Jesus Christ. Should I come again? I'm saying that the standard human being we are all to model to conform to, to imitate, and to grow to be like, is Jesus. Therefore, to be like Jesus is to like what he likes, to hate what he hates, to appreciate what he appreciates, and to, to walk the way he walked, to talk the way he talked, to live the way he lived, and to do the things he did. If you, if you are doing that, then it is difficult to deviate in the exam. So, you know, some people say, Holy Spirit, for me, it's a no-go area. Some people say, hey, the Holy Spirit, everything of Holy Spirit, I want, I want Holy Spirit. So, when you see somebody, Holy Spirit, small thing, Holy Spirit, so, 
It's weird. You see? And some people too, Holy Spirit, you see that. <laughs> but then, if they can even be so salty every day, <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know. But what is the proper, scriptural, godly, biblical, Christo-apostolic attitude to the Holy Spirit? It is to treat the Holy Spirit like Jesus treated him. If you do that, you are on the road. Anything short of that can land you into big trouble. So, allow me to bring out how Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit. And here, I just want to lay my cards on six sub-topics. The first is that before Jesus Christ was born, the Bible clearly says that he will live his life under the direction and anointing of the Spirit of God. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied, let's read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 2. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Yes. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So before Jesus was born, we are told that this rod from the root of Jesse the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God will rest upon him. Let's read Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. That one is more, you know, common because Jesus read it as his manifesto. Isaiah 61 Verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, you recognize this verse because when Jesus was introduced in the temple to preach in Luke chapter 4, we are told from verse 16 to 18 that they gave him a scroll of the book of Isaiah and he opened and opened and opened. You know, Isaiah 61 is way at the end of Isaiah. <laughs> he opened the scroll, rolled until he came to this chapter. Let's hear Luke 4. Read from 16 to 18. Luke chapter 4. From This is an introduction, so I, I can afford to go slowly. 16 to 18. Yes. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And as his custom was. You know, these days we are so busy that when they see you in church, you are doing God a favor. But the scripture says, as his custom was, he was in the synagogue. So, it's a custom. You have to build church going as a custom into your life. And stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 19. Yes. And so, you see, the point here is that Jesus, it was prophesied of him that when he comes, he will minister with 
Holy Spirit. Now, any Christian who attempts to live a Christian life without the power, anointing, the presence, the infilling of the Holy Spirit can never be like Jesus. But I'm not done yet. My second layer is that the birth of Jesus Christ, the whole process of God becoming man and flesh, is attributed not to God the Father, but to the Holy Spirit. Let me put it crudely. If you are talking about the Father of Jesus on the earth, is the Holy Spirit. Let's read it. You know, some of these things, you have to read them to believe them. Matthew chapter 1. Let's read from verse 18 all the way to verse 20. Matthew 1, 18 to 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Spirit. After Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they slept together and started kissing one another, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Of course, any young man, you, the lady you are betrothed to is pregnant, and you know you are not responsible. And she didn't drink water to become pregnant. So you, you are like, oh, this one. I mean, your friends will laugh at you. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it's actually a curse that you betrothed a woman and then another man takes her. It's actually a curse. I think Deuteronomy 28, 30 or so. Verse yeah. 20. Yes. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that the writer, Matthew, points out that she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. But to convince Joseph, an angel was sent from heaven and in a dream was telling her that don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. That which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, before I look at the scientific area, let's read Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, God is dealing with Mary. And the angel met Mary. Just read from verse 33 to 35. Luke 1. Luke 1, 33 to 35. Yes. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Mm. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now so, indeed. So, Mary was saying, I'm a virgin. How can I become pregnant? And the angel explained that the Holy Spirit come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So, what will be born of you is definitely not by man or of man. Part of God. Listen. I know where your thoughts are running now. You are like, uh, God says we shouldn't fornicate, but it looks like he's fornicating here. <laughs> but the truth is that you and I, you need your father's sperm and your mother's egg. To become a human being. 23 chromosomes from each to add up to the 46 to become a human being. But Jesus, 
before he was born, he existed in full form. This is it. Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. John 17, verse 5, Jesus said, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John 1, 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Before you were born, you were nowhere. Because your father had not met your mother for you to become you. This is why your features look like your mother's and your father's. Because you only became you after your father and your mother met. But before Jesus was born, he was Jesus in full form. Therefore, it's not Holy Spirit sleeping with Mary to bring forth a child. Jesus was put into the womb of Mary as a full human being. Does it make sense? So it's, it's not a question of the Spirit slept with Mary and then they had a child. Half Holy Spirit, half uh, human being. That would be a monster. You see? Jesus existed. He said that nothing was made without Him. All things were created through Him. So Jesus existed in full form. As God before he came. Philippians 2 from 5 to 8. He says, let this mind be in you which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. So it is, it is not a question of a man sleeping with a woman for Jesus to be born. Does it make sense? Therefore, the person who was in the mechanics or the machinery of putting Jesus, baby Jesus, into the womb of Mary, is the Holy Spirit. That's the second big thing you have to notice. It's prophesied that Jesus will minister under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 700 years. That's one. Two, the person involved in bringing Jesus as God into the world, as man, was the Spirit of God. That's two. The third point we have to establish is that without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus did no miracle. All the miracles we are told Jesus did in his childhood are false. Because John chapter 2 verse 11 says, when he turned water into wine, this beginning of miracles did Jesus and his disciples believed in him. So, Luke chapter 4. Can you read that for us? Luke 4. Read 1 and read 14. Luke 1 and 14. Yes. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Filled with the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan. Yes. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 14 says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Yes. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Yes. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Heaven did not say, oh, once it was the Holy Spirit who came on Mary and she, the child born is of the Spirit, therefore he does not need the Holy Spirit. No! Even after he was born of the Spirit, he still needed to be empowered by the Spirit. 
and the Spirit, he, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But that's not all. The way John the Baptist recognized Jesus and declared him to Israel was that he will be the person upon whom the Holy Spirit will come and remain. John, let's read John chapter 1. Take it all the way from verse 31 to 33. John 1, 31 to 33. Yes. I did not know him, but that he should reveal to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing. John the Baptist said, I did not know Jesus. It is that he should be revealed to Israel. This is why I came baptizing. Yes. And John bore witness saying, John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Yes. And it remained upon him. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon Jesus. Yes. I did not know him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Yes. At 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So God gave John the Baptist the sign that the only way you can know who is the Messiah is that when he is baptized, the Spirit will rest upon him. Therefore, this is the man. He, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know him. How? Because of the Spirit. Jesus was identified and declared to Israel as the Messiah because of the Spirit of God. If you are living your life without the Spirit, you are in danger because you can never be like Jesus. May I quickly make the other points. Jesus himself admitted in Matthew twelve twenty eight that he cast out evil spirits by the Holy Spirit. Matthew twelve twenty eight. Matthew chapter 12 verse 28 says that if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I, Jesus, cast out demons by the spirit of God, the agent I use to, to cast out demons is the spirit of God. Jesus admitted that his ministry power eh? And ability to cast out evil spirits is by the Spirit of God. The whole Old Testament, there is no record of any man of God casting out evil spirits. There's no record. Therefore, Jesus' ministry of driving out evil spirits, we must trace the source. He says, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. All the talk about this, this person is a witch, I don't want to eat your food, and so on, is because we don't have enough of the Spirit of God in us. The more of God's spirit that's on your life, the more they tend to fear you rather than you being threatened by them. You see, all these pictures of pastors with catapult trying to shoot your, your enemy is just because, you see, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You are not conscious of the spirit of God and his move in your life. Enough not to be afraid of your mother who is a witch. Therefore, you want to resort to every other means. Let all my enemies die. Take a cane and come and cane all the witches. All those things are because you feel threatened. You see, if you have a three-year-old boy, and he says, Mommy, I'm going to beat you right now. What do you do? You smile. Because you can't see how a three-year-old boy can ever beat you up. In the same way, you fear witches because you don't have enough of that mighty power of God which makes it sad that you cast out the spirit. And because of that, you are threatened. You feel insecure. You don't want to go to your hometown because you don't know what will happen. <laughs> and amazingly, we are told that when Jesus died, the person who raised him up from the dead was the Holy Spirit. Please, Romans eight eleven. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Yes. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Yes. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit. Jesus was dead. He needed to be raised up from the dead. And the person who did it is the spirit of God. Two more verses, then we are okay. Um, read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9. You want to listen to verse 14. It argues that the person who gave Jesus the power to suffer and go through the cross and die was the Spirit of God. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without support to God, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without support to God. It's okay. Then Acts chapter 1. Read verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, when Jesus rose up from the dead, the 40 days he spent on this earth, he gave commandment to his apostles through the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, I'm done. This evening, I've been trying to convince you. I've been trying to persuade you, argue with you, wrestle with your mind that Christianity without the Holy Spirit is Bruniwau. I've been trying to nail my point home that the Jesus you are following and you call your Lord, even he depended on the Holy Spirit for his whole life. It was prophesied that the Holy Spirit will work with him and give him wisdom, understanding, knowledge, this. It was prophesied that the Holy Spirit will empower him. It, and when he was to be born, the Spirit of God was very active in putting him into the womb of the mother. And when he grew up, it was the Spirit upon him that identified him as the Messiah and empowered him to do the miracles that he did. The evil spirit he cast out was by the Holy Spirit. And that even before he died, it was by the strength of the Holy Spirit that he could go through the passion. When he died, it was the Holy Spirit who raised him up. After he rose up 40 days on the earth, it was by the Holy Spirit that he gave command. I want to put it to you. That the measure of the Holy Spirit in your life, if it does not measure to Jesus's attitude and the place he gave the Holy Spirit in his life. You are following him, but at best, you are following him from afar. Amen. Let's have questions. I want to ask that are we Christians or believers filled one time for all with the Spirit of God or the gift of the Holy Spirit or you are filled Severally, until you go and meet the Lord. Amen. Let's read the scriptures. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we are told that on the day of Pentecost, all the 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 4. Yes. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Peter was in this meeting. In fact, he was the main preacher. So he also was filled. Agreed? Good. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Acts 4, 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So, in the persecution... 
when they were released from prison, we are told that again that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the people, Okay, let's read Acts 4. Read 23 and then 29, 30 and 31. 23, 29, 30, 31 of Acts 4. And being let go, they went to their own companions. Okay, they means Peter and John. Sorry. Uh, that's the background. Uh-huh. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Yes, 23. Then now go to 29 to 31. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, and they spoke. Acts 2, 4. They were all filled. Acts 4, 30, 31. And when they had prayed, they were all filled. Acts 4, 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. So, here are three meetings in which Peter is. And he is filled, refilled, re-refilled. Now, you say that's Peter. Let's look at Paul. Let's read Acts chapter 9. Acts 9. Read from verse 17. Acts 9, 17 following. Hmm. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you, Saul, on the way, has sent me to pray for you so that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes? Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Do you think he was filled? Thank you. Acts 13, verse 8. Acts 13, verse 8 says, but Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Yes. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently on at him. So Paul said, is filled in Acts nine. This is Acts thirteen. He is refilled. So I can go on, but the scriptures teach that. One feeling of the Holy Spirit is never enough. Why? Because we lose anointing. Our bucket is leaking. So Jesus told the woman with the issue of blood that, I know somebody has touched me because power has gone out of me. When you minister to people, you preach, you pray, you lay hands and so on, you lose the anointing, the oil of the Holy Spirit, gradually. Therefore, you need to be refilled. This is why, read Ephesians 5, 18. One of the versions gives the proper sense. It says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So, we lose oil daily. So, you feel dry spiritually. And you need refilling and re-refilling. You need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. And you were talking about if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't need to pray against, like you don't need to pray, like pray against your enemies and other things. Um, catapults. <laughs> and I'm wondering that, um, is it, because I know that there are so many people in the church filled with the, like, okay, I don't know if you are filled, okay, but so many people in the church and then, they are suffering one way or the other from something that is like they are being over one way or the other. So I'm asking if it's wrong praying against witchcraft, the occult, and other things. Thank you. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. The Spirit 
helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But one, the Spirit one, himself... Wait. One big human problem is we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. That is a big human problem. You see? Like your third year son is about to have the birthday. They say, oh David, it's your third birthday. What shall I buy for you? Say, daddy, buy a car for me. <laughs> you see? We, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. It's, it's a, a basic problem we have. We have to agree that we have that problem. When you come to God's throne, you, you don't really know what to pray for and how to pray. Yes? But mm-hmm. the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be added. This is the third part. We don't, even sometimes, though we know what to pray for, we lack the words to use. You see? The, uh, one friend of mine was learning Eve, and he was taught that water is etchy. So, he wanted to drink. So he went the, to the uh, madam of the house and said, Medekuku lechina. Now, Medekuku lechina means bath me. You see? It's like going to the doctor with your hernia and saying, please castrate me. <laughs> we, as human beings, we have a basic problem with vocabulary when we come to God's throne. And the Spirit uses words and groans which cannot be uttered to help us. That No, 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 no. Don't use this word. Eh? Instead of saying to God, give me a shoe, say, please, can you give me a shoe? Because you're asking for a shoe, but the way you're asking, the words you're using can offend heaven. Are you, are you getting me? Yes. So you need a helper. So the Holy Spirit comes to help you what to pray for how to pray, and the words you should use. So he makes intercession for you with groans which cannot be uttered. Now, most of our prayer against the devil and witches and so on is uninformed. Are you with me now? It's not that there is spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You don't see them. They see you. And you are fighting them. How are you doing it? You see? You are fighting a witch. You are not seeing the witch. Eh? So, what are you telling the witch? And it will hear you and it will be correct. So, you don't have... You need the Holy Spirit to help you. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom to devour. Resist him steadfastly in your faith. Here is a spiritual being you are not seeing. He is going around you like a roaring lion. You don't see him. How are you praying without the Holy Spirit? And it will be effective against that witch. Tell me. This is my point. This is my point. My point is that First John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Therefore, you are praying from a position of a winner, a victor, more than an afraid man. And that makes a lot of difference. That makes a lot of difference. If you are, two of you are fighting 
You are fighting from the angle of fear. And another person is fighting from the angle of victory. There are two different things. Today, I'm just trying to tell you that you are not making a mistake if you give your life over to the control, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because your master who bought you with his blood also did the same. This is, this is what I'm trying to cement today. And I use that example just because the whole issue of praying against evil spirits, taking a cane to cane Satan, and those things, nailing his coffin, you know, they are all wrong ways of dealing with him. You see, if anything, you annoy the witches more. <laughs> Amen. So my question is, can one pray for herself to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And if yes, is there any special, you know, should you fast, should you, you know, and how would you know that that prayer has been answered? To answer your question, there are five places in the Acts of Apostles where the Holy Spirit comes on people for the baptism. Out of these five, two of them, nobody laid hands. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the house of Cornelius. Nobody laid hands on anybody. The Holy Spirit fell. But three of the five places, hands were laid. The one you cited, Ananias laid hands on Saul to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Acts 8, from verse 14 to 17, Peter and, and John laid hands on the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit. And Acts 19, 1 to 7, the Ephesian believers, Paul laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's biblical to receive the Holy Spirit without anyone laying hands on you. It is equally biblical to lay hands on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Most times, our difficulty is the very first time you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it the baptism. That time, for a lot of people, they struggle and, and they need somebody's faith to help you know, make it complete. So we help by laying hands by people getting close to you, encouraging you, and so on. And I always tell them, don't overteach. Don't get to the point where you are teaching the people how to speak in tongues. Everybody say, laba, laba. Then you all say, laba, laba. Say, laba, 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 laba. laba, laba, laba. You know, when it's like that, the, the thing is man-made. It's manufactured. So you get to a church and everybody in the church, laba, 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 basically, basically, Then you, you must know that it is artificial. You see? So we want to be as genuine as possible. And because we want to be genuine, there must be no magic in it. If every child of God is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then there should be no mystery about it. If there is a mystery and it's occultic, then it's a secret society. Then it's wrong for the Bible to say, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. How can you say that if I don't have access to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? So, you can receive the Holy Spirit on your own. You can be filled with the Spirit on your own. You can also, it's biblical for people to help you lay hands before you receive. Amen. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to die for me. You bought me with your blood. I am yours. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, you filled Jesus. You anointed Jesus. You empowered Jesus. You led Jesus. 
You raised Jesus from the dead. I want you to fill me. I want you to anoint me. I want you to empower me. I want you to lead me. Spirit of God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come upon me. Just be quiet. Spirit, feel, yes, anoint, baptize, empower, yes, with your fullness, your fullness, your leadership. In Jesus' name. Follow JFK Mensa Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.